Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. We are what we consume. Have you ever heard that? Um, uh, essentially, whatever you put in your body, your body will become. Whatever you... And if and that that also crosses over to your mind. Whatever you put into your mind, your mind will become. I just had one of my favorite snacks, and I'm gonna tell you what this snack is, and I'm gonna tell you why I have this thing. The snack is high in sugar. It's not the best for you, but it's not the worst. I just got back from the gym, and I had a um, I take um, plain or excuse me vanilla yogurt. This is delicious. If you've never done this, try this. I take several, two scoops of, or two and a half scoops of vanilla yogurt, and I chop up some fresh strawberries and fresh blueberries, put in there, and then I top it off with um, regular granola, oats and honey granola, excuse me, and then I pour my, I pour my goodies on top, my chocolate chips, right, and I stir it all in a bowl, and it's a diabetic's dream, man, this is, uh, not that I'm diabetic, but this thing is an insulin nightmare, this thing is so high in sugar, but I love it because it treats me. It makes me, um, it makes me happy. And this is why it makes me happy because when I'm wanting that double bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's, when I'm wanting that spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's, that's, that's my, my, um, that's my dessert. Y'all think I'm bullshit. And I get a double cheeseburger plain and a spicy chicken sandwich plain. And I go big, I get the biggie size fries and the sweet tea and all that. I don't do that every day, but when I do it, it puts me in a straight coma and I have been doing so well. I've been eating so well lately that, uh, I was really proud of myself. But if you heard the last episode, that last episode was really rough because I got back into a funk. I talk about being on the roller coaster ride of emotions with, you know, um, PTSD with depression, with anxiety. And sometimes you're on top of the ride and sometimes you're at the bottom of the ride waiting to go back up. And I've been bottomed out for a couple of weeks. I'm not going to lie. It's been hard and and I'm slowly getting back on track, going, going back up. Here's the hard part. People got to pay for it along the way. And that's, that's one of my big things that I teach in post-traumatic purpose. Let's try not to make our problems everybody else's problems, right? When we get when we get to feeling down and we get to feeling lethargic and we start those intrusive thoughts start creeping in and you start um, you, you start feeling yourself self-destructing and pushing people away. What can we do to combat that? And I'm gonna tell you right now, the biggest it, it, there's nothing you can do. There's no pill you can take. There's no uh, switch that you can flip, but what you can do is recognize that you're doing it and not just accept it. 
I think a lot of times we we tend to just accept it for what it is and we we lay around in our sorrow and our guilt and our pity and we just wait for it to pass. And I think that's one of the worst things you can do. Granted, you can't speed up the process, but I do think that you can restrict a lot of the uh, the collateral damage that you do along the way while you are waiting for that time to pass. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of, uh, for instances here. So when I came back off of the road from Florida, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not rehashing that, but I had a, I had a really rough time and, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm at my farm today. I'm recording. I go on the road tomorrow. I'm heading up to Illinois and I chose to drive this trip. I'm driving this trip because I need I need some time for me. I need some time <clears throat> to like just decompress, to think, and to just be by myself. Now, if you also listen to last episode, those that's one of the most trying times for me. Um, so it's one of the most lonely times for me. And that's why, you know, sometimes we do like surrounding ourselves with people because being alone is kind of scary too. But I, I need to do this just because I feel it's right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of flying. I'm tired of being like herded and like, like cattle through airports. So I'm just going to get in the car. I'm going to make a, um, a, a seven-day road trip out of it. I'm going to go speak. I'm the closing speaker at the TEDCon conference in Peoria, Illinois on Friday, uh, August 19th. By the time this airs, um, that event will have already happened. And then I'll be preparing uh, to go to Cobb County, Georgia, where we're going to be working with uh, Cobb County first responders for two days, August 30th and the 31st, uh, just outside of Atlanta. This is what I'm getting at. What we consume is what we become. So when I come back, I come back from my, I'm back at my farm. I come back from Florida, right? And I was having that rough week and I couldn't shake it. I just could not seem to be happy. And it's because I had so many thoughts and so many emotions going on and so much pressure from other things in my life bearing down on me that it was just hard to carry it all. And uh, it was getting heavy. And so what I did is I was like, all right, what can I control, right? I can't control any of this, but I can control the perspective and I can control the way that I choose to, to see this situation. Unfortunately, like I said, it's not a light switch. So I had my kids for three days out here at the farm. And if you know me by now, you know, I absolutely love my girls more than anything in the world. And I love spending time with them, but this time was very trying for me. And this is almost like it goes back to episode one that I recorded. That was, um, titled parenting with post-traumatic stress. It was a very challenging three days. Uh, I had my kids by myself out here at the farm and I'll tell you right now, I think one of the biggest guilt things with me is that I feel like I feel like a failing father if I'm not smiling all the time, if I'm not just fun to be around and I don't have all of the activities planned and I'm not um, making my kids food the second that they're hungry and, uh, and, and if they're bored for three seconds, I feel like I'm failing as a father and I know that's not true. I know there's a lot of other parents out there that feel that way. The problem with me is I already carry so much guilt and so much, um, I don't even know the words. So, so many other things that that just weighs on me extra heavy. So coming back from Florida, I wasn't able to offload everything that I needed to offload. I never had time to just decompress. 
I came back and I had my kids got to do what, what parents have to do, right? Can't leave them on their own. And I did the best that I could. Um, unfortunately they saw the not so happy side of me. Now that didn't mean I was having a, a temper tantrum or anything, but I wasn't, I wasn't really there for three days. I wasn't really in the moment with them. And I remember we, we went fishing one day. Um, it's actually yesterday or two days ago we went fishing and I just remember internally I was angry. I was mad. I was, uh, I was all these things except happy. I was all these things except enjoying the moment with my children. The thing that I, the thing that I teach other people about, because look, I'm human being, I'm a human being too. I never pretend to have it all figured out. I, I, I know I don't, but I, I am aware and I don't make excuses for it. I know it's all me. I know what I go through plays a major role in their universe. And I have to make sure that I control and manage my emotions correctly, or it will affect them. But we were fishing and I remember their line got hung up and I was, I was so put off that my six year old daughter threw her line and it got stuck. And then my eight year old threw her line and it got stuck and I had to cut two lines and I was I was complaining. I was just like, oh man, this is, this isn't fun, blah, blah, blah. And, and they can hear this and that's not fair. And you know what the the truth is? The truth is I never took the time for me when I got back to unpack all my bullshit. So what I did is I let it pile up. I didn't, I didn't look at my wife and say, you know what? I can't do this today. I, I actually need two, three days by myself so I can get right. So I can get focused for the task at hand. And that task at hand was my children. Now I'm fortunate enough to where I'm in a position to where I have my own place at the farm and I get to live here. Um, summertime is, uh, is different. The whole family's out here for the summertime. Um, but when they go back to school, it is just me. So I have, I have more time alone to just regroup and refocus. But when you come off of a, of a, of a work trip where you were in desperate need of some, some serious help and you come back and you come right back into chaos, how are you setting yourself up for success? And I, and I, and I, I think about the first responders who, who go to work every day and then they come home at the end of their shift and they walk right back into a chaotic family situation. And the family doesn't even know they're being chaotic. The family is just present. And unfortunately, they pay for whatever it is we're going through. And it, it's horrible because you see what your presence alone does to them. You don't even have to say anything. It's just your mannerisms. It's your attitude. It's the, the, the look on your face. It's the way you carry yourself around your people when you're not well. That affects them. You know, my daughters, they loaded up in the car yesterday and I hugged them and I kissed them and I told them how much I loved them and they were heading out and their first day of school is this week. And I'm going to miss that because that's what I'm used to. I'm used to missing everything in life because I've been on the road for 15 years. It's what I do. Um, I miss first days. I miss soccer games. I do the best that I can to be around when I can, but that's the guilt that I carry on the road with me. And this is shit that I don't really talk about openly to a lot of people about. That's all the stuff that I carry with me every time I go out and I'm on the road. I'm, I'm thinking about my daughters who 
are at school and I didn't get to see them off that morning or I don't get to see them when they come home that day to tell me about their homework or to tell me about what friends they made or to tell me what they learned at school. I miss a lot of that. And so in turn, I feel guilty as a father sometimes, actually a lot of times. And I carry that guilt and I harbor that guilt along with all this other guilt that I have. This isn't a pity party. This is just the truth. And I know first responders out there who work these crazy schedules go through the same exact thing. You feel guilty for not being there. But then when you're there, you feel guilty for being there because you're not the best version of yourself. And I feel like, honestly, I just feel like I robbed them over the last three days that they were here. And, you know, they don't, they don't see it the way, the way that we see it. I asked them, I actually asked them, I said, girls, did y'all have fun while you were here? And they said, yeah, we had a great time, dad. And I said, do you feel like your daddy was upset with you? And they said, no. And it, it blew me, it blew my mind because I was thinking, man, I haven't been happy for three days. I've been miserable for three days and I've been carrying this and I figured they could see it and maybe they did. Maybe they didn't see it. I don't know. Maybe I hid it very well. I'm sure at times they did because I was yelling at them to clean their room and pick up their stuff and stop spilling stuff left and right. But how about you all? Do you go through that? Do you have guilt sometimes just from your presence? Like is your presence too much for people sometimes? Because that's, that's certainly how I feel. And then I feel like my presence isn't enough. So let's get back to this we are what we consume thing. While my kids were here, I was doing everything I could to get out of this funk. I was doing everything I could to get my mind sharp again. And I know from a lot of experience, you know, I get hit. I get hit several times a year pretty hard with these, with these, uh, with these emotions. Um, and I'm usually really good about rebounding. And what I'm getting at is this. You got to do the things that you know are healthy for you. And you got to stay away from the things that you know are absolutely not healthy for you. If you're in a mental health crisis, have you ever, have you ever tried to be upset laying in a field of flowers when the temperature's nice and the, and and nice cool air, nice cool breezes blowing? Have you ever tried to be mad? Picture yourself laying in a, I don't know, 70 degrees out. It's partly, partly cloudy and there's just a nice breeze and you're laying in a, um, a field full of flowers. You're just sitting there and everything's perfect around you. Now try to be mad. Do you think you can be mad? No, because you're putting yourself in an environment to make yourself happy. You're giving your body everything it needs and you're giving your mind what it needs to consume happiness. Therefore it breeds happiness. Happiness breeds happiness and misery. Guess what? Loves company. So misery breeds misery. And what I mean is this, when I was with my kids the other day and I'm trying to snap out of this thing, all I wanted was some fucking donuts, right? The gas station, they have these, it's called the quick trip. They have these fresh donuts. They're packed in They're They're actually shipped um, fresh every day from Atlanta. They pack them and they ship them down here. And they got these big chocolate ice donuts, strawberry. I mean, they're, they are absolutely delicious. So I haven't had anything really that, that bad recently. And so I said, you know what? I'm going, I'm going to treat myself to some donuts and I had this urge. So I, I called my girls. I go, you want to get some donuts? So they were started screaming. They were so excited. So we go, we get in uh, my, my old farm truck, old blue, my dad's old truck when I was little. Um, 
We hop into farm trucks, got the back windows busted out. We're driving down the road like white trash. And uh, got rust falling off the truck. Damn windows are down. It was a perfect day, right? Well, we get to the gas station. I always get my girls two donuts. I get them two, and I get, you know, six for myself. And I usually house them before I get back here. Now, I only get them every once in a while. This isn't an everyday thing. When we get there, they only had four donuts left, two chocolate, two strawberry. And both of my girls like chocolate and strawberry. And inside, I was so mad. I couldn't, I was, I mean, I could control it. But I think my girls saw that I was upset they didn't have enough donuts for me. Now, this sounds childish. I get it. I was furious and envious at the same time that they got to eat these donuts. And I know that they were like, Daddy, you want some donuts? I was like, (laughs) my youngest one said, Daddy, do you want one of my donuts? I'll share it with you. And I said, no, Poppy, you can have it. Go ahead. And I'm driving down the road. And I still had donuts on my fingers from when I, I reached in with the little plastic thing to pull the donuts out and put them in the box that they had. And I was smelling those donuts on my fingers and I was, I was licking them. <laughs> and that's all I got of the donuts. But I was so upset that now I needed to pollute my body, right? And I was, I was hungry, so I ended up at Wendy's. And ended up getting, you ready? After eating healthy for weeks on end. I ended up getting a double cheeseburger, all right, double bacon cheeseburger. I ended up getting a large fries. I ended up getting a big sweet tea, and I ended up getting a spicy chicken sandwich. And I ate it, and at the time, it felt amazing. But we are what we consume, right? And it wasn't long after that, maybe an hour, hour and a half, I was in a coma. I was in a food coma, and I was I was laid up on my couch. I'm out here, and the weather's nice, it's beautiful. And I spent the rest of the day laying on the couch. Because I polluted my body and I put something in there that was not good for it. And that's what it did to me. And it's the same exact thing with our minds. And who did I cheat myself? I cheated myself out of a great day. And here's the problem. The next day when I woke up, I felt like shit. Emotionally, I felt horrible because I wasted an entire day. And I wasted that day because of something I put in my body. And so now... I'm in, I'm at this place where my mind is playing tricks on me, just like that song. And I'm unhappy and I'm miserable and I can't get out of this funk that I'm in because I'm consuming garbage. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be outside enjoying my farm and being in those flowers I was telling you about and running my tractor and cutting my grass, but I couldn't get off the couch because I ate garbage and it laid me out. We have to watch what we consume. Not to just be physically healthy, but to also be mentally healthy. You ever heard of being physically fit and mentally fit? Physically fit people do not put trash in their bodies. And mentally fit people do not put trash in their mind. They put themselves in a position to thrive. And that's what we have to do. Speaking of thriving, have we ever... Have, well, let me say we. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever doubted yourself so much? Or concerned yourself so much with the opinions of others that you never really pursued something that you wanted to pursue. And the reason I ask this is because of this. Last night I was sitting here and I was scrolling through my phone looking at old videos from my from my days on the comedy stages. And I came across this video where I was backstage and I was so happy and I was looking at that man and I was like, man, I was having an outer body experience because I saw the happiness of this, 
of this me backstage. And then I watched the rest of that video and it was a stardom uh, comedy club in Birmingham, Alabama. And it was, it was sold out show. I had like five sold out shows that week. And I had an amazing stand in ovation from 500 something people in this audience that went way up into the balconies and all that. And it made me smile. I must've watched that video 20 times. And you know what I was thinking about the entire time that I was watching that video? I was thinking about all the people who ever doubted me. And I was thinking about all of the opinions people have had over about me over the years that I never concerned myself with. And the reason is this, had I have listened to people in the very beginning, tell me that I, I wouldn't be do good in stand up comedy. Had I, uh, listen to the haters, the doubters and all that. I would have never had those experiences. I would have sold myself short and I would have crum crumbled and just went to do the normal things in life that, that normal people do. And I, I'd be damned if I was just going to be normal. And it made me proud to sit there and watch that and to realize that, you know what? I did what a lot of people are afraid to do. Get up in front of an audience and hone a craft and night in and night out, go in front of these audiences and do what I love to do and get really good at it. And I remember in the beginning when I started comedy, you, you know, you, you watch all these, um, these, these people, they start out and then they fizzle out really quickly because they don't get to a level that they're appreciative of fast enough. It's, it's almost like people don't want to put in the work. Nobody, People don't want to go through shit to actually appreciate what they have. And I was never like that. I was all about doing hard work and getting in it and grinding and getting dirty as fuck and, and just getting after it. And you know, if there's fruits from that labor, then great. Um, but if not, you know, at least, at least I tried the best that I could. And while I was watching that, I thought about other people that I know that have quit along the way doing doing comedy. And I also know there are people out there who never started doing something because of their fears. And that, that actually saddens me because I know as a human being, we are capable of so much, like there's so many things we can accomplish if we just try. But I think we also, as human beings, we get wrapped up in comfort and we get wrapped up in what we know. And there's comfort in security and there is acceptance in the normal and that just boggles my mind you know as I sit here and I record um, from my, my farmhouse I have a 180 degree view of the pastures of my horse pastures I can see them in front of me beside me and behind me right and I'm actually looking at my horses right now and you know where they're standing they're standing inside the fence the fence that holds them back in life. The fence that tells them, this is as far as you ever get to go. Your life will be inside of these fences forever. And those horses, you know what? They seem okay with that. This property is so big. And outside of that fence is not just my property. Guess what's out there? the entire world, but their world shrinks to inside those fences because of safety and security. They know where the food source is. Those horses could, could probably kick that fence down if they wanted to. 
They could jump that fence. These are big-ass horses. It's only a four-foot fence. I watch little deer do it all the time. They only have the help of donkeys out there. If they put their minds together, they could kick a fucking board off. And now that 48-inch fence goes down to two boards, and it's 36 inches high. Then they can just walk out. My posts aren't concreted in. I did that on purpose. I did that, well, for other reasons that I don't need to explain. <laughs> but they could sit there and they could work a fence post o- over time. I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say horses aren't smart because I watch them do some intelligent things. I watch these horse trainers do some shit with these horses. What I'm getting at is we live within fences too, whether we know it or not. We think we're free. You know, we get up, we go to work. We clock in, we do our job, we go to the grocery store, we go to the gym, we come back home. And our world seemingly becomes the same route. Think about the route that you take every single day. Is that your entire world? Usually five to seven days a week. You take the same route, you don't deviate from it. We too live in fences. Our fences are just invisible, right? We have the invisible fences that keep us held back in life. And I think those invisible fences are doubt and safety, security, and comfort. Try try roaming beyond your fences sometime. It's uncomfortable. It's, um, it's scary. But it's necessary for growth. It's extremely necessary as a human being to get outside of your comfort zone. I remember being so uncomfortable the first few times I did comedy. And then, then that slowly subsided and then that I would still get nervous, but in like a, an energetic way, like a, I can't wait to get up there. And I'm still like that. When I speak, I will pace a fucking room backstage like no other because not because I'm nervous that I of, Oh my God, what am I going to say? I, I'm, I can't wait to get up there. That's my passion. My passion is being in front of audiences and communicating with people and had I've ever let doubters and people that said I couldn't do something convince me of that. I would not be living my passion right now. I would be doing exactly what other people wanted me to do in life, which is just sit idle and have a normal life. And I haven't done that. I've had a beautiful extremely beautiful life. I think about the life that I've lived sometimes and I I sit back and reflect and man, it, it, it makes me smile from ear to ear. And I, I feel like I've literally lived the life of lives of a thousand men at 44 years old. But there's that one thing that always comes back to always come back to the issues that I have from that exciting life. And how those issues are like a leech and they start sucking those smiles away. And they, what they end up doing is they put you in the dark places and you sit there and dwell on that. When you have a lifetime of amazing things you can sit around and focus on and smile at. That's what I'm getting at about we are what we consume. You have to start consuming those wonderful thoughts, those good thoughts. When your mind starts taking you down that other road, when your mind is the devil on your shoulder, you got to have the angel of good thoughts on the other shoulder, helping you through it. 
I teach in post-traumatic purpose. I teach about toxicity and uh, how in the emergency services, we're extremely toxic people sometimes, actually a lot of times, but we don't come on the job that way. We start out the job with ambition, with desire, with uh, optimism. And then over the period of your career, somewhere along the line, those things start getting stripped from you. And you're not as optimistic as you once were. And you're not as fun as you once were. And now you're pessimistic and you bitch all the time and you moan all the time and you complain all the time and you see the bad in everything. And that's your mind allowing you to do that. And what happens is it becomes habitual. And once it's a habit, that's just who you are now. And if you refuse to see who you are and who you're turning into, you're never going to fix the problem. It's constant work. When you, when you are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, all that, it's constant work to be happy. You don't just get to wake up and be Willie fucking Nelson, smoking a joint, living on a tour bus, and laying in that field of flowers. You have to work for that field of flowers. You have to cultivate that field of flowers. You have to go out, dig the dirt. You got to plant the seeds. You got to cover the seeds with dirt. You got to water those crops. You got to be there when the weeds start coming in to take over your flowers. When the weeds start coming in to strangle out all the nutrition from your your flowers, you got to become the hoe, not street hoe. I'm talking about a garden hoe. You got to become the hoe that gets those bad weeds out. You ever watch a garden grow? Because I'm good at this. I'm good at planting a pretty garden and not doing anything about it and just watching the weeds take it over. And by the time the summer's over, I'm like, well, my garden looks like shit. And now I just need to cut it with a lawnmower or a bush hog. That's what happens to your happiness over the years. The weeds creep in. You got to be able to keep those weeds out because it will choke out any bit of happiness that you deserve. Trust me. I was talking with my father this morning and, you know, because my dad's my right hand man and I can talk to him about anything. And we, um, I started telling him, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get into the guts of it, but I was like, you know, dad, I've had a rough couple of weeks. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that my daughters are seeing me in, in a way that I don't want them to see me. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it under control. And you know what he said? He said something that, that made us get into some pretty deep conversation. He said, yeah, man, he goes, our side of the family, he goes, uh, we're, we're pretty quick to react negatively. And I stopped him right there. And I said, you know, when you say our side of the family, it's not like it's in our blood. It's in our DNA to act like that. You know what it is? It's a learned behavior. And I know where it started and I know how to trace it. And I can trace it all the way back to my grandfather. I talk about my grandfather, DC, a lot. My grandfather, DC, was one of one of my grandfathers who was in World War II. And he was in the um, South Pacific fighting Japanese during the island hopping campaigns with the army. And when he came back, he was my grandfather that, you know, had a third grade education and he was, um, he was a logger when up until the time he was 17, before he went in the military, he goes in the military, has to fight Japanese. And he has to, he goes to the Philippines where the Japanese soldiers were are, um, decapitating babies and, uh, sticking their heads on stakes for psychological warfare. This is stuff my grandfather had to go through. And, uh, when he comes back home, the only way to deal with it was through alcohol. And so that's what he did. He did that. And then he, and he abused his family. I mean, there's no way around it. My grandfather had a very quick temper. He was quick to light you up. He was quick to put hands on you. Right. 
And my father and my uncles and my aunts, they all grew up under that. And it wasn't that my grandfather was a bad man. It, it was that he was, he was a sick man and he never got help for it because he couldn't back then. All right. So my father learning this behavior from his father, learning how to have a quick temper, learning how to react through, through, um, like aggression. That's how I grew up. Now, my father wasn't abusive to me, but when my father got mad, you could certainly see it. It wasn't controlled aggression at all. It was, it was impulsive. It was explosive. You would see it and you know, 10, 20 minutes would go by and it'd be like nothing happened. And I saw that happening with me very early when my kids were young and my dad just didn't understand it the same way because back then, again, you didn't, you didn't talk about mental health in the seventies and eighties when I was growing up in the nineties, you didn't talk about that stuff. So it just was the way that it was right. Well, my dad and I were talking about this morning. I said, you know, it's funny that you say it's in, it's in us, but it's in us because it's a learned behavior because he was talking about my aunts and my uncles having that same impulsive, like issue with anger. And I don't want to make it sound like my, my family walks around yelling obscenities and cussing and punching walls and like getting confrontations. Cause that's, that's not what I'm saying. But if you cross somebody in my family, you're going to know about it real quick. Right. It's, that's just how it is. I learned very early when my kids were young that I'm in control of this and I, and I traced it back and I, I understand where it came from and I understand the root cause of it. And when you do that, you don't have to just keep passing that trait down to your children. Now I'm not saying my kids won't be like that one day. Cause I, I just don't know. I can't predict the future, but I do know this now that I'm aware of it. I do everything I can to control my reactions and any kind of explosive behavior that I might ha- might have so it doesn't affect them. And so that maybe, just maybe, they can be the first generation in a long lineage of explosive people to not pass down that trait to their children. How cool would that be? But it just takes recognizing the problem. Too many people are too accepting of their own behavior. I've always... Man, I'm big on that. Like, look, I, uh, I'm big on calling out your own shit. I'm big on being responsible for your actions, being responsible for your words and owning it and doing something about it. Because when I was younger, when I was immature, when I was uh, a fake tough guy, right? My whole mindset was, well, was this is just the way I am. And if y'all don't like it, oh, well, and I realized how wrong that was. I saw an interview and this was a long, this was a while back. And I don't even remember who was interviewing who, but I just remember the man's words and, and it hit me, it hit me like a freight train. And the person asking his inter, the interviewer said, what's, what's one of the best things that you can teach your children? And the man simply said confidence because a lack of confidence leads to seeking attention. Man, that, that just hit me. That hit me in the gut because I'm all about doing things that make you uncomfortable, learning how to do new things when you don't know how to do something. And when you, when you tell yourself, I can't do something, that's when you step up and you say, you know what, but I'm about to figure it out. And I don't care how many tries it takes. 
Case in point, I let my daughters watch me the other day restring, not restring, re um, the pull start and my gas blower came, uh, it broke. And so I had to go out there. I had to go buy a new rope. And if you know anything about re-roping a pull start gas, anything, it's a pain in the dick if you've never done it. All right. This thing has a coil spring in there that when that spring comes out, you have to get it recoiled. You have to get it set right. Then you have to put the, uh, the housing unit onto that spring. It has to be wound correctly. It took me all day to figure this thing out. I've never had to do one. Fortunately for me, I've always worked on things my whole life. So one hand kind of washes the other, right? You learn new skills. Every time you do something, you don't know you learn new skills and those skills kind of eventually turn into other skills that you didn't know you had. And so my daughters came out and they're like, daddy, why don't you just take it to somebody fix it? And I looked at her and I said, what's that going to teach me? And they didn't say anything. And they said, just because you don't know how to do something doesn't mean you can't do it. And I said, I'm going to figure this out. I said, cause what does daddy never do? And they both said, daddy never quits. And I go, that's right. I don't quit. And I don't know if that was a good lesson or not, but it goes back to confidence. I was confident in myself that I knew I was going to be able to do that. And I tried, and I think confidence breeds confidence. In the Marine Corps, that's one of the things they teach you, man, is be confident. So they got the O course. They got the confidence course. You go out and you do these things that make you uncomfortable. And the more that, the more that you do things that make you uncomfortable, the better you're going to get in uncomfortable situations. Look at sheltered people. Look at sheltered kids. They've never been able to do anything for their lot for themselves. Mommy and daddy always made a decision for them. They told them where to be, when to be, how to be, what to be. And they were never able to make a decision for themselves. And so then they grow up. They're the most indecisive people you'll ever meet in your, in your life. They can't make decisions for shit. And that drives me crazy too, because your parents trying to do everything for you. I understand being a parent, how you want to help your kids, but I don't think most parents realize just how far you're setting your children back when you do everything for them. Try this next time you're in a position of doing something you don't know how to do, figure it out. Take your kids and let them see you figure it out. Let them see you not quit. Let them see you make mistakes and let them see you learn from those mistakes. Get aggravated, get mad with the project, do whatever you got to do, but figure it out and let them see you complete it. Do you realize what that teaches them? Do you realize the lesson that they'll learn from that? And when you start doing that over and over and over, guess what? That's a learned behavior and we can teach them positive learned behaviors just as well as we can teach them negative learned behaviors. Our biggest teachers are not schools and universities. People Our biggest teachers are our parents. We learn so much from them and we take so much from them and apply it to our lives. It is, it's ridiculous at how much many of us are just like our parents. If we stop to recognize it, I always get into parenting, man. I think it's just because I'm at that phase of my life where I'm realizing how important it is. And I'm so hyper-focused on the negative energy that I present in my children's life. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think that me being focused on it lets me aware that, Hey, I got room to work. Um, and I'm, and I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to acknowledge who I am. I'm willing to accept who I am, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to improve who I am. If not for me, for you. 
I, I can't stand basic parents. I'm not saying I have it all figured out because I have my flaws. But when I look around, I can point out who was lazy raising their kids in about three seconds. It takes me all of about three seconds because guess what? Your children will tell the universe exactly who you are as a parent. If you don't spend time with your children teaching them basic skills in life, it will show up when they're adults and they will have a lack of confidence when it's time to do basic things in life because you as a parent never taught them that you just did it for them. You did things for them. The absolute hardest job in the world is parenting. And I'm going to tell you why, because parenting doesn't stop. Parenting doesn't stop because you have a job. Parenting doesn't stop because you're sick. Parenting's 24 seven. And I, what I see happen a lot of times. And again, I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I, I, I have my flaws. I've dropped. I, I I still drop the ball. All every every single day that I'm a parent, I drop the ball. But I focus on it. I recognize it. I don't accept that. I try to learn from it and try to be better for it. Right. But what I see with some parents is this: they give up and they just quit, and they let their kids do whatever because it's just easier. When you watch, you watch these parents hand their kids a tablet, hand them a device. You know why they do that? They do it to pacify them. Hence, pacifier. That's why they created pacifiers is to shut the kid up. And that's all these phones are. That's all these tablets are. They're pacifiers because it is hard being around kids all day, especially when you have big boy and big girl shit to do. I think it just aggravates me because everybody wants to be a parent. Most people that have kids, they, they went into it wanting to have kids. And then when they have kids, they don't want to do what it takes to be a parent. And you know, that's, there's an old saying in the infantry, everybody wants to be infantry until it's time to do infantry shit. And that's what it's like being a parent. I'm going to say this and then I'm gonna get off my soapbox. The hardest thing about me being a father has been this. It's been, un, it's been understanding that sometimes you gotta, you gotta do motherly things because I'm so old school and so caveman that my mind about being a father, I don't know if I'm right or wrong for this, but was always, Hey, I'm the protector provider, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of person. I'm gonna make sure everybody's good. And when it comes time to dealing with whining and crying and, and nap time and foods and coddling, that's somebody else's job. And that's how I was raised. And that's how all the men in my family were raised. And this goes back to learned behaviors, right? Well, what happens when you come from a lineage like that is that's how you believe a father's role should be. And I haven't been too coddling. I haven't been a nurturer with my girls. I get out there and get dirty with them and teach them. And if they fall down, I look at them. I'm like, get up. You know, a mama's running over there to scoop them off the ground before they get dirty. And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. But I'll tell you, there's been a, there's been a problem in, in my marriage with that. And I think there were more expectations of me as a father that I never met. And, you know, I'm not making excuses for it. My idea of a father was to be a strong male role model, right? And I've always, I've always believed that 
a man has a place in a, in a, in a family and a woman has a place in a family. And in between, they do what they can to help one another. And I don't need a bunch of shit for this, you know, but I know we're at different times now where dudes wear skinny jeans and, and, you know, they cry while the woman holds them in the fetal position and they suck their thumb. I get that. That's perfectly acceptable now, but that's not the world I came from. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think there's uh, especially with dudes like me coming from, uh, backgrounds like I come from, there's a lot of guys that relate to that. And I can't speak for the, 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 the side of the women on this and I'm not taking sides. So don't take that as, don't take this as that. I'm just being honest about it. Um, but I do realize that it, that whole mindset has to change. And I've been getting better at that. I think a, a hard, hard part about me being a dad is that a lot of the things that I went through also um, molded me into not being such a great nurturer. You know, I, I can go out and provide for all day. I can like like the old uh, the old Indian movies. I'll go get on my horse and go to battle for my family all day. But when I come back to the teepee, I'm not doing no fucking dishes. I'm not I'm not wiping babies' asses. You know, because when when it's time to get up and and put myself in front of danger for everybody, I'll do that without a second thought. But and I'll teach my kids those same things and I'll teach my kids how to how to survive and I'll teach them the hard lessons in life. I think about when my daughters are older, the conversations that I have with my father, the private intimate conversations and the worries and the concerns. I wonder what kind of dad I'll be. And I wonder if I will be able to be have the compassion that they need from me in those moments. Because I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that. It's hard. Even right now, it's um, it's hard sometimes having those soft conversations with a little girl about her feelings. And the the hard side of me wants to immediately brush them off. And the hard side of me wants to tell her, rub some dirt on it when she's talking about her feelings are hurt because so-and-so said something. And my, my, my go-to is like, fuck them, go punch them in the throat. Don't let them talk to you that way versus, well, let's sit down and talk about this. And I got to get better about that. And, but the cool thing is I have, a, I have, I don't know how much time I have, but I am aware of it and I will work on it. And I've been trying to work on it because I don't ever want my, my daughters to not be able to come to me because they think daddy's too hard. Um, I think of that movie Grand Torino with Clint Eastwood when his kids go to talk to him and he's just this old asshole and he's telling people get off his lawn kind of thing. I don't want to be that guy. I worry about the kind of old man that I'm growing into and I worry about not being able to be, uh, have the compassion that I need for the people that need me the most. And that's really important, but I think I'm going to be just fine. And the reason is this. Because I am aware of it, because I do acknowledge it, because I own it and I will work on it. And that's what we need to do as human beings to grow beyond who we are presently. 
Keep growing. Keep turning into something beautiful. Don't focus on your flaws. Use them as fuel. Use them as fuel to work through those flaws and to blossom into something unimaginable. Thank you all so much. I love you all.